So thank you for coming and thank you for your interest in wanting to know a little bit more about meditation. Um, the presentation today is going to be centered around emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is the ability to manage your own emotions as well as the people around you. So when people have a high degree of emotional intelligence, they usually know what they're feeling and they know how their own emotions are able to affect the people around them. It also means that you're able to move towards positive emotions in yourself. So um, when an, a leader has emotional intelligence, it's absolutely essential for success. In fact, if you put a bunch of different things together, you know, in terms of intelligence, intellectual capacity, financial prowess, if you don't have emotional intelligence, it's almost impossible for a team to be successful. So when you just check it out in terms of who's more likely to succeed, a leader who shouts at his team when he's under stress or a leader who stays in control and calmly assesses the situation, you know? You know, who is going to be happy in a situation? You know, what situations are going to work? So Daniel Goleman is an American psychologist who's the one who coined the phrase emotional intelligence, and he delineated five specific areas that help build emotional intelligence, which includes self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. And so as a leader, the more you are able to manage each of these areas, the higher your emotional intelligence, all right? So what my interest in doing on this uh, presentation today is look at the first two, self-awareness and self-regulation, the next class, which will be on the 1st of February, I'm going to look at the last two, empathy and social skills, and then I want a whole special class on motivation so that we can dive deep into all how that works, how that, where that's coming from, and what actually gives us juice in our own lives. But what I want to do now is something that Mark did with his uh, Fortune 100 company. We've given you three sheets of paper. I want you to take one of them out and a piece of paper, uh, a pen. So we didn't bring pens, so I hope you've got pens. I've got one extra one here if you need. And what I want you to do for a couple minutes is just do a quick brainstorm. And if you need to borrow a book to write on, please feel welcome. What I'd like you to write down are the most common thoughts that you have, good or bad, don't censor them, but what are the most common things that you think about when you walk down the street, when you commute, when you're getting lunch? What are the things that occupy your mind? What are the things that you think about? So look for the common threads. So if you're thinking, feeling anxious about doing something on your to-do list, then write anxious. If you're worried about picking up the dry cleaning, put worried. If you're um, concerned about how the plans are going to work out for your holiday, put concerned. If you're feeling excited about a new adventure, put excited. So what we're looking at is, is the brainstorm of the kind of thoughts that are normally occupying your mind. 
and just jot them down. Not the content, the synopsis. And I'm going to give you two minutes for this. If you're afraid about your job prospects or the economy, write afraid. So the most common thoughts, not the things that are rare, but the things that you most frequently revisit. Now what I'd like you to do is just take a look at your list. What's on your list? You don't need to share it with me. You don't need to share it with anybody else right now, but just take a look at that list. Yeah? See what's there. Yeah? And I want to read you the list that he came up with with working with this Fortune 100 company. This was a group of highly successful business people. They were, um, I think there were 12, there were, I can't remember how, there were a lot of people who were in this sampling, okay? This was on their list. Stress, anxious, lack of peace, sadness, helpless, terror, wary, Tension, depression, concerned, anger, joy, unease, constantly vigilant, unconfident, aloneness, worry, frustration, rage, and fearful. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and when he questioned the person who had joy on her list, it wasn't something that was a regular thing. It was something that occurred uh, infrequently. All right? So these are the things that they thought when they woke up, when they took a shower. These are the things that happened when they walked down the street. So we have 60,000 thoughts a day. 60,000. Take your list and multiply it by 60,000. Now multiply that by seven days a week. And now multiply that by 52 times, uh, 52 weeks a year. And multiply that by the age you are. This is an unbelievable barrage of negative thinking. So meditation is designed to give micro breaks of 60 seconds into this thought chain of negativity. And that is the mechanism for paving a path that allows us to have a whole new set of thoughts and experiences, okay? So when you've been meditating for a while, the, when you have proficiency with meditation, it's not just time, it's proficiency. When you understand how to deal with your thoughts and your feelings, your categories would look something like relaxed, confident, at ease, centered, peaceful, grounded, delighted, calm, open, bliss, joy, compassion, rapture, delight, power. All right? So if anybody came here wanting to know why you meditate, this is why you meditate. To change the negativity, which is the constant bombardment of our thinking, into the what we actually are in our innate, natural way, which is loving, open, interested, curious, 
relaxed, happy people. You're describing my dog. <laughs> 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 no, I, I'm serious. I always say, I, I look at him when I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, and I want to go, I want my next life to be Marley's. <laughs> you know, there's my favorite sound is that when a dog is completely relaxed, and they go, <sighs> right, just, I mean, the world is at peace at that moment. So there are tools that we can bring. We don't need to vote or wish or hope that we become a dog in our next life. We can actually bring them into this life. <laughs> and and so that's what, better than you <laughs> And so you know that's what we're here to do is to see the value of it, the importance of it, the mechanisms of it, and actually some of the ways that can support us doing this. Okay. So self-awareness, the first point of emotional intelligence. If you're self-aware, you know how you feel. You know your emotions, you know your actions, and you know how your actions affect the people around you. It also means having a clear picture of your strengths and your weaknesses. So in a study of hundreds of managers from different organizations, accurate self-assessment, those who knew their strengths and weaknesses, sought feedback, learned about their mistakes, and knew where they needed to improve, those were the ones who were, that, those were the qualities in star performers, okay? So this is not just something to do because it's a nice idea. This is something that happens with people who are really the superlative members of teams, the superlative leaders, the ones who are star performers. Self-awareness gives rise to self-confidence and a strong sense of your self-worth and capacities, but it requires deep self-knowledge and blatant self-honesty. This means having nothing to hide from yourself. What's really important to understand in this language is that self-awareness is exactly the same as mindfulness, and mindfulness is one of the fundamental things that we cultivate in meditation. So emotional intelligence is a contemporary modern word for bringing <coughs> meditation into our life. So what do you can do? First thing to do is to keep a journal. Now I talked about this in the last class, keep a journal. And I don't know if anyone paid any attention. I don't know if you've done any journaling. But one of the things that I was reading as I was looking through the books that you're writing on you know, um, Search Inside Yourself has got all kinds of research in there. And some of the studies that they have done are phenomenal, okay? So in one example, they had uh, students wrote about meaningful personal experiences. And they showed a significant increase in health from their blood tests. They saw, they felt better, they got better grades in school. And in another test, students were asked on two consecutive days to write about something that was emotionally significant. Broaching the subject on one day and exploring it the next day was enough to put things in perspective, okay? When we write, we begin to have more understanding of what's actually going on inside of ourselves. And it's not talking about writing for an hour or two or three a day. Four minutes of writing a day is enough to make huge differences in the way we start feeling and perceiving about ourselves and the world around us. The statistics were mind-blowing. They were working with some people who were out of work, and they had them journaling. And there was like 
50% or 60% of the people who were journaling about the positive qualities in themselves got jobs within a very short period of time. And the people who didn't were looping in the fear cycles and the self-disparagement cycles about what it was and the anxiety they had about not having work, okay? So journaling and the questions we ask or the questions that we frame ourselves help us reframe our thinking so that not only are we more aware about what's going on, but we're able to pay attention and focus on the stuff that's really important for our minds to start switching gears from this negative barrage to something that's more positive. So there's a question, a whole bunch of questions. So if you want to take this up as a discipline to do for four minutes a day to get yourself a book, and then what they suggest is writing on a separate piece of paper, and so I did it for you. You can cut them out, it's not a big project, and you can put them in a bowl. And so the different suggestions is, is just a, a topic. What am I feeling right now? Am I aware that? What motivates me is, I'm inspired by. Today, I aspire to. What hurts me is, I wish. Others are. I made a happy mistake. Love is. I value. What is important? I think I am. These are our open questions that help direct an inquiry that allows us to explore what we think and feel when we hold these questions up. So one of those sheets for you is to take home to cut up into papers and to pick one out randomly every day and spend four minutes writing on that topic and see how that helps. Your own internal exploration of what you know and think and feel, okay? So one point is to keep a journal. Another point in self-awareness is to slow down. So oftentimes what happens is, is that when we have strong feelings, we don't understand what's going on. So there's an impulse, there's a sight, there's a reaction, an internal reaction, and then there's an external reaction. And we have, it's like a black box. We have absolutely no idea what's happened, okay? But what we want to do is slow down, put a microscope onto that black box, open it up, put some light into it, and see if we can see what is actually happening here. When we understand what's triggering us, then we have much more capacity to react and respond in a skillful way. It's really important to know that no matter what happens to you, the worst possible thing in the world can happen to you. You still have a choice about how you react to it, okay? Terrible things can happen. Fantastic things can happen. We have a choice about how we respond. We are not victims of circumstance. This is a choice that we have until we give up that choice, either by taking too many drinks or by becoming so inundated with our own fear and anxiety that we don't have a choice anymore. Okay? But until we give that choice up, it's ours. One of the huge things that I'm going to say a million times in 10 different ways thousand different ways, a hundred thousand different ways, is that the way of doing this is to focus on your body, okay? Our body is our key to being able to understand how to do this, how to actually put this into practice. And the reason why is because every emotion and every thought has a physical correlate. We can feel our emotions as sensations in our body. 
we can feel and experience our thoughts in terms of the effect that they have on our body. When we focus on our body, we have much more vividness and resolution than when we do initially when we're learning about meditation, we're trying to focus on the thoughts and the emotions themselves. Okay? This is so important. There's just no way that I can say how important this is. This is so important that if every day you took one minute, many times during the day, to focus on your body, to feel what you're feeling, to know what's going on, this is exactly how your life transforms from the one list to the other list. Because our body is the bridge from our thoughts to our feelings. Okay. So, the two things I wanted to talk about today was self-awareness and self-regulation. So we're on to the second topic, self-regulation. So people who are able to self-regulate, leaders who self-regulate, they don't attack somebody. They don't make rushed or emotional decisions. They don't stereo people. They don't compromise their values. Self-regulation is about staying in control. What's really important to know is that self-regulation is not about suppressing emotion. It's not about suppressing emotions, even the ones that are distressing. Self-regulation is not about having certain emotions, but getting very skillful at knowing how to deal with all of our emotions. Okay? Very big difference. So we don't put ourselves under a 10-ton stone. We raise ourselves up to meet what it is that is arising. It's very different. We cannot stop thoughts from arising. Nobody can. The Dalai Lama cannot stop thoughts from arising. But what we can do is we can train ourselves to respond to them in a particular way and train ourselves to not react in the way that our habits and our fears and our desires and our wants would have us do. Pain and suffering. Pain is the stuff that comes when we have something that hurts us. Somebody hits us, somebody hurts us, somebody insults us, somebody's angry with us, somebody is aggravated because we haven't delivered according to our time schedule. It's unpleasant, it's painful, all right? Suffering is the thing that we put on top of that. It's our reaction to it. It's our not wanting it to be there. It's our beating ourselves up because we feel that way. There are two things in life. Pain is inevitable. It comes with being human. There is nothing anybody is going to be able to do to make it so that you don't feel pain. Suffering is optional. We can make choices about how we direct our attention and what we do so that we stop suffering. The definition of a person who is completely enlightened is they have zero suffering. Doesn't mean that they don't have physical pain, but they have zero suffering. Grasping and aversion are what keeps us from letting things go. Grasping is when we, des when we hold on to something and refuse to let it go. Aversion is when the mind is desperately trying to keep away from something. And by trying to keep away from it, we're not letting it go. When mindfulness is strong, we can see the space between the initial thought 
the feeling and the reaction to it. This is not simple practice, but it is the result of meditation practice. We can track our internal mechanism, the black box is opened up, and the chain of causation is revealed. So, John Kabat-Zinn does a stress reduction program, and oftentimes people come there because they're in terrible pain and they can't get any medical cure. So there was a man who came in a wheelchair, and he was in excruciating pain. And he came and he did the meditation practices and the class was watching him. He transitioned very quickly in a six week class from being completely bound to a wheelchair to being in crutches, to being in a cane, okay? The pain stayed exactly the same, but his relationship with it changed. There are some things in life that we don't have a magic wand to make there's some illnesses that we don't have medicines for that we can cure. Our relationship with it can shift from being one where we feel despondent, despairing, depressed, to being open and interested and creative, exploring, loving, and grateful. That's a choice. How do you want to live? What do you value? What's important to you? How do you want to feel? So how can you improve your ability to self-regulate? So first of all, what's really important is to practice being calm. So the next time you get in a challenging situation, just be super aware how you act. Do you, and notice, not in a judgmental way where you're going to trash yourself because you did it in a wrong way, but in an observational way. We're just checking to see what happens. So when you get stressed, what do you do? Do you eat? Do you get, do you dump on somebody? Do you go for a run outside? Do you talk to somebody on the phone? Do you text? What do you do? So just watch what happens when you're in a challenging situation. What is your mechanism to release the stress? In meditation, what we're learning to do is to work on how our own breathing and our physiology is directly connected to our own mind states. So in meditation, when I'm aware I'm stressed, I pay very particular attention to my body, and I do everything that I can to relax. I focus on my breath, and I spend time in nature that, for me, is profoundly grounding. Okay? Also, one of the things that can be really helpful is to try and write down all the negative stuff you want to say. So don't bottle it in. Let it go. Let it rip. Just go for it. Everything negative, everything horrible. Don't send this to the person you're mad at. Rip it up into a million pieces and throw it away. But you are absolutely, completely given 100% permission to be uncensored in your adjectives about what you're feeling. So there's a difference between knowing what you're feeling and expressing it in a cathartic and safe way and knowing what you're feeling and dumping it in a not safe way where somebody else is going to have to process what you have, have just said. In the one situation, you have carte blanche to say whatever you want. and the other, you need to absolutely see that what you say is going to have a huge impact. Is that clear? Okay, so focus on your body signals. 
So I said it once, I'll say it again, I'll say it 10,000 times. Focus on your body. Your body is your key. The body is your bridge. The body is your lens. The body is your language interpreter. When you begin to understand how you feel anger as a body experience, not as a thought, but as a body experience, then the first time you notice the first tinglings of anger, you know, it might be your jaw, it might be heat in your stomach, your breath might get shallow. When you focus on that, that gives you a lot of information before you've actually even clicked onto the fact that you're angry. So when you start seeing these things physiologically arising in you, you have much more choice about how you respond to it. You can make decisions based on body signals much faster than you can before you figured out that you're angry and you need to do something. You might need to walk out of the space, just get out of there. And that's absolutely valid, just walk. You know, There's no reason why you have to stay in the same space and deal with this. You know, It might be that you have to be actually out of the context. Right? So what's really important when you're understanding trigger? So trigger is not quite the same as just getting angry. Trigger is like a whole huge emotional cascade. So something happens, and then it's like you feel like you're going to lose it. Like, you know, you dissolve into tears or dissolve into rage or dissolve into speech that you have no idea who's speaking because it's not you, you know. So there's something that happens, and there's a huge emotional reaction, and before you know it, this stuff is out of the starting gates and three-quarters down the track, okay? So with these kinds of things, again, one needs to watch for the body signals, the short breath, the rapid heart beat, the feeling sick to your stomach, to begin to see the fight, flight, or freeze mechanisms that happen with this. So fight is, is like, I'm going to dump him, I'm going to slug him, I'm going to trash him with my words. Flight is, I'm out of here. And freeze is that sense of there's no thought, you're just sort of immobilized, you can't think, you can't move, you're just frozen. Fight, flight, and fright and freeze are indications that you're in a trauma response. Trauma response requires its own set of skills to work with. You cannot expect yourself to cognitively figure it out. You have to do it through your body. And you have to let yourself cool down, chill out, relax, unfreeze to a certain degree before you're going to be able to respond. So when your thoughts are, I'm a victim, you know, or they're an idiot, or I can't focus, you know, these thoughts connected to the emotions and the body signals are all keys. Now, in the book that I had, Search Inside Yourself, they came up with this uh, pneumatic, Siberian North Railroad. Siberian S for Siberian is stop. The B for Siberian is breathe. The first north is notice, the first R is reflect, and then respond. So when you're dealing with all these different challenges, you know, what we want to do is to stop and breathe, then begin to notice what's going on, reflect, put it in a bigger perspective, and then find a response that is actually congruent with our values.
now. Do you have any questions? You with me? Okay. Okay. Let's do some practice. What I want you to do is to put your pens down for the moment. And we're going to do some different meditation experiences and some more journaling. So, with sitting, you have to realize that these chairs are like so designed to make it so that your back is kind of crazy. They're, they're absolutely designed that way. And there's nothing terrible about having your back caved in except for the fact that you're not breathing properly. So if you sit on the edge of your chair, then your back can be upright in a way where you don't have the same kind of caved in breathing. So what I'd like you to do for right now is we're going to just do a body scan. So I want you just to come into your own body. Let yourself relax. Feel yourself grounded. And for me, when I feel grounded, I let my energy sink deep into the earth. So I have my feet connecting with this little dais, this podium. I've got my seat on the cushion. And both from my feet and my seat, I feel an energetic connection into the earth. Now, I'm going to guide you in a body scan. I want you to just bring attention to your head. And when you bring attention to your head, I want you to be open and aware of what your head feels like, not as an idea or as a thought, but as direct physical sensation. Do you feel heat? Do you feel cool? Do you feel tight? Do you feel pressure? Does it feel relaxed? Does it feel warm? It's your whole head. And you might feel many different things, or different things in different parts of your head. So awareness is non-judgmental, and it's honest. It allows what is there. Now bring your attention to your face. And same thing. Feel what's present. Feel hot or cold or pressure or tingling. Feel numbness. Feel warmth. Feel the physical sensations of your face. And just notice that as you bring attention to your face, if the muscles in your face also start to relax, just by bringing attention there. Letting the face be and noticing what happens when you bring attention to the face. Now bring attention to the neck. Notice there's muscles on both sides of the spine, there's throat, and you can just notice how it feels. Does it feel fluid? Does it feel like a rock? Does it feel tight? Are there places you cannot feel? So observation is non-judgmental and open, perceiving everything that is present.
bring your attention to the whole of your back. And once again, tune into what's there. Tension, tightness, feels like boulders, feels like pain, feels like warmth, feels like spaciousness. What is present in your back? notice what happens to your back when you bring attention to it. So we're not doing anything spectacularly fantastic, complicated thing. And it's miraculous what happens when we bring attention to our back. Now bring attention to your front, the whole of your front. And just notice what you feel in the whole of your front. Now we bring attention to the whole body. So one of the amazing things about our attention is we can change focus from small focus to large focus. And we can zero in and we can widen out. So let's widen out and include the whole body. And just notice what the body feels like. Places that are tight, tense, moving. Places that are throbbing, that are pulsing. Places where energy is is stagnant, places where it feels warm, places where it feels tight, places where it feels numb. And you can just let your attention go to where things are noticeable. And notice how things change when we bring attention to them. like you to do is to bring to mind a very happy memory. Sometime you felt really productive, or you felt extremely confident. Let that image of that time become very clear and vivid. Notice how your body feels. Notice the quality of the emotions that you feel. And now, very briefly, go through the same scan of feeling your head and your face and your neck, your shoulders. 
just take stock if in bringing a happy memory or a time when you felt extremely productive or confident, how that affects that your sense of stress, how it affects your feeling of tension, how it affects your experience of anxiety or concern. <coughs> noticing and just resting in this quality of the nice feeling that comes when you bring a happy memory Now I'd like you to continue with the same contemplation of staying with this happy memory, this feeling of confidence, this feeling of being extremely productive and effective. And I'd like you to change your posture and stand up and walk until I ring the bell. And your job while you're walking is to stay focused on the body experience of how it feels like to feel confident, to feel productive, to feel happy. Okay? So everyone can stand up now and just quietly walk around here on this bottom floor and then when you hear the bell to come back again. Everyone in your own space, no need to talk with anyone. So I want you to get out your paper and your pens again, and I want you to do some more journaling. And the first question I would like you to um, write on is, what are the things that give you pleasure? You'll have a couple minutes for this.
And now I'd like you to change your inquiry to just reflecting on what your strengths are. Now I'd like to ask you to break up into four groups of three and um, sit in a way that you're facing each other so we get to mess up the chairs. <coughs> so take make four four little groups of three and it might be it might be useful for families and partners and to not be in the same group. <laughs> <laughs> So mess up the chairs so that you've got little little um, three little triangles, little triangles all over the place. So this is going to be a sharing exercise and a listening exercise. And so in the sharing, what, what I'd like you to do is to pick who goes first, second, and third in terms of speaking, okay? And the ground rules are is to only share what you feel comfortable with, so don't feel you need to share anything that feels like it's too exposing, okay? Um, but what I'd like you to talk about is what you learned from doing these different journaling exercises. The first one were the contents of your thoughts in a normal day. The second question was the things that give you pleasure. And the third question is, is what your strengths are. So the person who is speaking gets to speak for a minute on the things that you learned or the things that you'd like to share about what these exercises revealed for you. Okay. And then the other two who are listening, just listen with your whole body. You don't need to affirm. You don't need to agree. You don't need to ask any questions. You just need to be present and listen. Now, for most of us, when we're speaking, it's evocative. Even when it's listening, it's evocative. And we get pulled into ideas of who we think we should be or what we think we need to convey or some sense of an impression that we need to make. And if that's happening either for you because you're speaking or while you're listening, just stop, close your eyes, and come back into your body experience. So the permission here is not to be articulate and, and give a good impression. The permission is to stay connected to your body as you're speaking. And to stop yourself, close your eyes, come back into your body if you get pulled out. Is that clear? Are there any questions? Silence. I can't read the faces. Good enough? Yeah. Yes. Give it a try. 
give it a try. Okay, so have you picked who's going first, second, and third? Do that. And and I will I will ring the bell to start you, and I'll ring the bell to change you to the next person. Okay. So the listeners, your whole response, what you are doing, is staying totally connected to your body while you're listening. You don't need to make eye contact. You don't need to nod your head. You don't need to agree. You don't need to show any sense of that. It you are. You just need to be present in yourself as you're listening. Okay? so yummy to be able to talk in this way, isn't it? It's like it's not that often when people listen. <laughs> so let me bring you back. You want to like, you're going to have a revolution. I want to do one more practice thing with you because this is an important practice thing and looping it together and then we'll have a dialogue together. So come back into your own sitting spaces or just so that you're not you can be however you need to be. So it's really important to focus on the positive things about ourselves, the things that give us pleasure. It's important to focus on our strengths. And I would be curious, you know, to find out how much easier it was to think about pleasures than it was to think about strengths. You know, we're just not used to thinking like that, you know. But it's good to think like that. It's good to reflect on our positive qualities and strengths that we have and to remember them. Not because we're becoming egotistical, but because it's just important to remember them. Do you have a question? Yeah. So why is it that, I'm going to make a very general statement, why is it that it does seem to be more the human experience to focus on the negative or to be drawn that way? Because if you think about it, the average person isn't always rolling around exuberant because then they get consumed into their daily lives, which tend to be toward the negative. I'm going to pause the question and keynote when we do the I'm going to want to do one more practice thing with you first, and then we'll have a discussion and all those kinds of questions can come up, okay? But this is another question, this is another process, which is, is that, all right, it's really helpful to focus on the positive, but sometimes we can deliberately evoke challenging situations to see if we can practice working through them in more skillful ways, okay? So let's come back into meditation so that you feel your body, you feel the ground, you feel yourself relaxed, just take a moment to settle in and just let whatever happened in this conversation release. And feel the confidence that you have in this here, your own resource, your own capacity to be with what is arising. And now the invitation is to think about a situation that was challenging 
conversation that didn't go well, that didn't have a good outcome, something that you feel regretful about, a business deal that went sour. And if there's like many conversations or many situations that come to mind, think about the common threads in each of them. What was common to each of them? And let it become vivid so that it's not just snippets, but really feeling the emotions that you were experiencing when this was going on. Like almost reliving the whole thing. So we evoke a memory, and then let's see if we can practice the Siberian North Railroad. Stop and breathe. So we've evoked the situation and now just take a moment to stop and to breathe. We're not trying to create it anymore. We just want to focus on our breath. And notice the feelings that you have. And notice the physical sensations that let you know what you are feeling. Remember, with body, we have more vividness and resolution, and that's what we're wanting to focus on. Staying with what you are noticing. And now the step reflects, so Siberian is stop breathe, notice, reflect. And the reflection part is to come to a bigger picture. You know, whoever you're dealing with is a human being also, who also suffers and wants to be happy. When we look at bigger pictures, we come back to what do we think is really important in life? When you see somebody who's acted unskillfully, you can recognize that they are probably doing what they felt would make them happy. So when we come to a bigger perspective, we're not just caught in the emotional whirlwind that arises from our reaction. When we're able to be with our body, feel the sensations in our jaw and allow our breath to come back into something that is more normal, we are able to respond. So think of a response to that particular situation that would have felt more congruent with your values and had a better outcome. What would that be like? Now, I want you to take whatever residual emotion is left from allowing this experience to come deliberately to mind and clench your fist and allow the emotion to be 
imagined contained in your fist and clench your fist as hard as you can so that it is really clear that there's a lot of tension in your hands. And now very gently relax, open your hands and let the emotion go as you do that. And now coming back into your body, coming back into your feeling of your head and your neck, your shoulders, your back, your front, your whole body. Coming back into allowing your breath to stabilize, to relax, to calm. that we use meditation for is not only to move directly into positive thoughts, but to deliberately evoke challenging situations and see if under the microscope and the lens of mindfulness, we can find different ways of relating to it. The outcome is so that we can have more positive thoughts. We open up challenging situations, difficult situations, difficult conversations deliberately so that we can see our reactive mechanisms inside of ourselves so that we can come through it in a way where we feel more confident, more at ease, more peaceful, and more congruent. So I put you to work today. <laughs> So, time for questions, time for comments, time for discussion. You had a question. You wanted to know why why our minds focus on the negative. <coughs> I think there's a, a complicated many factors that are involved with that. It has something to do with the way our analytical capacity has been overemphasized above our capacity to stay connected to our body or to nature or to um, other things. And the way an analytical mind works is it tends to look for what is out of balance. It tends to look for the thing that's wrong. So you can be in a whole huge space that's lovely. The room temperature is fabulous. There's no problem. And you see a black spot on the carpet and you totally focus on the black spot. You know, That's one of the things that happens with a mind that's trained to be critical. So we don't need to flush that down the toilet, but we need to emphasize the other qualities of noticing the space, seeing how the temperature is lovely, feeling our connection with our body, with nature, so that in addition to seeing the black spot on the carpet, we also can pay attention to the other things. 
were wondering, since we were three women, uh, our reaction, you asked about our reaction to listening and taking in the other's comments. And we all had the same response of we wanted to agree or help or acknowledge in a, in a motherly way that it was all as mothers. And we were interested in how that would, how much of that is the female cultural value part that we've been trained. It would, you know, how it was, if it was different with men, did they have the same so how many of you got three men in this space? Did you have that kind of feeling when you were asked to listen? What was your response? a lot of gender conditioning in terms of the way we respond to things. And, you know, part of what we have to do is wake up to that. And wake up to that as a lens that through which we process experience of the world. It was not, it was the gender and it was, I think we all turned to the fact of mothers. Uh -huh. That was the reaction. It's uh, very physical, too. Right. It's, it's hard as a mother to, especially with your children, to passively listen not fix. Well, I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely delighted to hear that. Well, you and about six billion others. So feel, <laughs> they don't feel, feel very <laughs> much in good company. <laughs> Did you have a question? Oh, I just wanted to share one of the things that we all noticed was that if we're not caretaking, what are we doing? Who are we? How do we matter? Brilliant. Brilliant insight. Absolutely brilliant insight. Fabulous insight. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that I didn't find my place with caretaking, listening, and nodding, and acknowledging, and nurturing, then I didn't know what to do. Brilliant insight. So we have all of these social structures about the role that we have to assume when communication is happening, and it actually does not support us to stay connected with our own body. And so when we learn how to stay connected with our own body, we can inhabit whatever role we need to inhabit. But it doesn't, that the primary relationship, the primary thing is, is that we're connected to our own body. We know what we're feeling. And then we, are, we can be totally empty. We can do whatever is necessary. If I'm clutched onto an idea, like if I assume the idea that I'm supposed to be a teacher, okay, and a teacher does this, 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 and this, and doesn't do this, 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 and this, right? And let's say that I need to do something in this category. If I'm identified with being a teacher, it's going to be really hard for me to switch. If, if the teacher is kind of like a costume that I put on and take off as it's needed, then it's a lot easier for me to flow whenever I need to flow. Okay? If I'm not connected to my body, it's very difficult for me to pick up the signals of when one is needed and the other is needed. 
So if I'm locked into the idea that I'm a caretaker, like somebody gave me a very strong admonishment. She said, don't be nice. Oh my God, don't be nice. <laughs> you know, she said, the worst thing you could do is be nice. Don't be nice. So it's like, wow, of course I shouldn't be nice in that circumstance. But it's like, if I'm locked into the idea that I have to be nice, and how do I come up with this clear? No, we need boundaries. They need to be clear. And no, that's not acceptable behavior. That's not nice. So if I'm identified with nice, I can't flow into this kind of ferocious clarity, ferocious boundaries. When I'm empty, then I can move in whatever direction I need. Of course she was right. Ferocious boundaries were absolutely appropriate. But we don't think of that as a powerful place. We think of that as a totally disorienting place because I don't know who I am if I'm not trying to be somebody. That takes practice. Well, we give ourselves so many titles. Right. And then letters after our names. And our initial reaction, especially in this environment, is what do you do? <laughs> and a lot of your initial what you do is not necessarily what else you do. You know, sometimes we, we Gorb and I talk about that, about doing a Thai Rockies presentation on something that you don't do in your career. <laughs> what, do you, what else do you do? Right? Yeah. You, know, what you didn't know about somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, somebody who doesn't have good boundaries, they need to have really clear instructions about what is and what is not okay. So somebody who's a little bit unstable, for example, you know, is going to need to have very clear boundaries. No, it's not okay to read something, somebody else's paper that they have not invited you to do. Okay, it's not okay to tell me that you're going to do something and then not do it. It's not okay to exaggerate the truth and distort what you're saying. Those are not okay things. Those are ferocious boundaries. Okay. Yeah. And so are you suggesting that when you encounter somebody like that, that you make them aware of what they're doing? In this case, I was a teacher in relationship to a person who didn't have very good boundaries, and I needed to make it very clear that, you know, being nice was not the only thing that I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So I'm not stuck on the idea that I have to be nice all the time. You're still loving, even though you're setting boundaries. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't throw this person out of my heart. Does that apply in a confrontational situation too? You know, say you're having a strong conversation with a client or a manager or employee, and it's. It might be a very tense conversation. You feel that they haven't done what they should have, or they feel you haven't done what you should have, and there are strong words being exchanged, and it's getting very heated and emotional. Um, I've found myself in situations like that, and I often am not pleased with the way I handle it. I tend to get emotional, and I tend to lash back verbally, and I guess I'm looking for some 
guidance or suggestions as to how to calmly, you know, set those boundaries or give them love when you really want to punch them in the face, honestly. <laughs> Isn't that part of that Siberian? That's yes, that's Siberian. part of the Siberian North Railroad. But also when you feel like punching somebody in the face, often it's because you need a lot of love, all right? So what we need to do is to recognize, well, I'm feeling agitated because they're not listening, they're not responding, they're not meeting any of my needs, and I'm just beside myself. So you need to self-nurture. You need to bring in a 10-ton truck of care, kindness, responsiveness to yourself. And then when you feel like, oh, okay, I see I'm not being heard, my needs are not being met, nobody is responding to me in a skillful way. From that perspective, you can say, you know, my needs are not being met. I would like to be acknowledged that my concerns are valid and that my needs actually do need to be met. But you're not in an emotional place of demanding. You're just very coolly reflecting what's happening. So you need to de-escalate, self-nurture, and from that place come with a response that actually is going to have your needs be met more in a way where you're not engaged in the kind of emotional um, boxing. Yeah. Boxing tournament. And obviously, the stakes are up, you know, because your adrenaline is going, everything is going. Yeah. So, you know, to be able to do this is like, it's not kindergarten material. It's actually quite sophisticated. But it obviously pays off because, you know, these heated interactions are where we, we lose it or we see tremendous success or skillfulness emerge. And, you know, all of us make mistakes. So we can't make, like, a rule that we're not allowed to make mistakes because that's, like, deadly. You know. So how are you doing? You there? You with it? You understand the, the the value of it? I see smiles and nods. So just to recap, keeping attention in the body is really important. And if if you did this one minute every hour, okay, that's 24 times a day. That's 24 minutes. Really, what we need to be doing it is 60 minutes a day. All right. So three times an hour. That's 24 hours a day. But if we're going to do it during when you're not sleeping, then you have to have it more times during the times when you're awake, all right? The more you understand this ability to break through the negativity and the habits and calm yourself down, the more you're going to see opening up of other ways of being that then mushroom. But like what I was saying in the beginning, as people were still coming in, there's a kind of energy thing where you have to put energy in before you see the results and when you're just training especially if you haven't been on a in, in you're not fit it feels terrible <laughs> so you need to have encouragement and so last time I was here I said what's really great is to have a meditation buddy you know like a, an emotional intelligence buddy where you pa you pair up with each other and you check in once a week for 15 minutes to see how you've been doing with your commitments, how you've been doing with your journal writing, how you've been doing with your 60-second intervals several times during the hour, how that's going, how it's going and what the result is. And just like when you're getting back in shape and it feels so terrible to go to the gym, if you've got a buddy, you will go even if you don't want to go because you made the commitment. So body awareness, 
repeated times during the day, journal writing, and bunnies. Uh, there's a website. I've got my cards here. You can take the cards. And the, the website has guided meditations and talks and written materials and books that you can download. And they're not this kind of material. They're for people who are diehard meditators. But nevertheless, they're fabulous resources. And there's a whole website. And all of it is available for free downloads. So uh, there's nothing. You don't have to pay money to have access to this. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.